Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Indoor Rower with me, your host, Tony Larkman. Today, we have a very special first guest on the podcast, Nick Fleming, aka Big Bird. This man was one of the pioneers of indoor rowing greatness. He was the second non-rower to break six minutes for 2,000 metres in 2001. He has won numerous world and British titles and holds world records in team relays over 100 kilometres and a marathon. He has a 2K PB of 5.53 and is one of the most genuine, nicest and fierce competitors I've ever raced against. Nick will dive into his indoor rowing career, explain his drive and training and maybe, just maybe, the great man will make a comeback. I'm so proud to share this chat with you from one of the sports legends and a gentleman and a friend. Sit back and enjoy the Big Bird podcast. Today with me, we've got a very special guest, Nick the Big Bird Fleming. Now, those of you who don't know about Nick Fleming, he is a legend. He appeared on the scene around 2000 and he was the second non-rower to go sub six minutes, just. Chris Rushton just beaten to it, I think a race previous to the one that he did. But he has gone sub six 23 times. I've had many races with Nick. I have to say that Nick spurred me on. I like to think I spurred Nick on. We had some real battles with Nick and with Chris Rushton. And we're always trying to snap at the heels of Graham Benton, although I feel like he was just a bit too far for me. But I think Nick got quite close to him. But, you know, Nick's history in indoor rowing, well, everyone knows about it. It's amazing. He has produced so many records. I've raced him countless times. I've had battles with him. We're going to talk now, just two old warriors talking about the battles we had and just seeing where Nick is now, where he's going. And we'll talk all about his great past. And over to you, Nick. Welcome. Well, thank you, Tony. Yeah, that's quite a big introduction. Yeah, I mean, it, it brings back really fun memories, actually, you know, speaking with you and thinking about the, the days gone by and the battles that we had. And yeah, and basically getting into the sport back in the day and then people like yourself and then Graham just spurring you on to try harder and go faster. So. Well, it's lovely to see you, Nick. It really is. And I have to say that you're still looking good. And I reckon with a bit of training, we can get you fast again. And then we can have some more battles and locks and horns at some of the rowing events. I certainly don't look as good as you, Tony. You, you've certainly got a little bit less weight around your cheeks than I have. And probably around your middle as well. So, Oh, it's all liposuction, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Right. OK, Nick, just get this started. I'd like to talk a little bit about your childhood and school and how you got involved in sport, what you were like at school. And then we'll move on to you going into your triathlon. and then we'll progress it onto indoor rowing. So if you could just tell the listeners a bit about your your history and your past. Yeah, well, to be honest, when I was at school, I, I wasn't one of the sporty kids. I mean, you know, we, I came from a, a football school, basically. We never did rugby. and We weren't massively into cricket. Athletics came about a little bit as well. So at school, it wasn't really something that, you know, that I was any good at. But as I sort of progressed and got into my teens, I sort of, took a real liking in basically weight training and then going to the gym. And really, my background has come from being in the gym and then, you know, orientating around that, really, cycling, running. You've mentioned triathlon. Obviously, I could swim. I wasn't a strong swimmer, but that seemed to be a sport I could really get something out of, and I really sort of enjoyed doing that. But, yeah, it really didn't come from being in school. It just came from, you know, once I progressed beyond that. So it's interesting to me that a lot of people that seem to be good at rowing 
wasn't necessarily that good early on in sport and they progressed as they got older. It seems to be the same with you. When you left school and then you moved into triathlon, how old were you and how did you get involved in the sport? I would have been into my late teens, early 20s. Yeah, basically, it really was about the fact that I loved going to the gym. I really enjoyed getting on the bike there. The gyms I used had a, a pool, so I started to do a little bit of swimming. And it seemed a natural progression to go bike, running, pool, triathlon, you know. And locally, there were a couple of smaller events, like sprint triathlons, which were easy to get into, not too expensive. So I did a few of those when I was sort of younger and started off. And then I moved into the like Olympic distance. That's the longest distance I did. So I did a few Olympic distance triathlons which, you know, were great fun. I did the Windsor, I did the London Triathlon and did a few others, you know, around the sort of the area. But then they, they also did a Roathlon. I don't know whether you recall that one. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, so I, I actually did did that one year and, and actually James Cracknell was at that. And unfortunately, I didn't beat him. I think he and I were very close on the row machine because we did 4K, I believe. But he absolutely smashed me on the bike and, and on the running you as well. Explain to people what the roathlon, what it consisted of. Yeah, so basically the swimming part was just swapped for the rowing machine. So we did the, you know, instead of going in a pool, we did a row, followed by the bike, and then followed by the jog. Yeah, the run. It was a four k row, which is brutal in itself. And then you had the run. How far was the run? I think it was a cycle came next. It was about a 40k cycle, then a 10k. Then I think it was a 10k run at the end of that one. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good slog, especially if you push yourself on the round machine, because obviously it does, you know, it takes a lot out of your legs. Unlike, you know, the swimming, obviously, it's an all over exercise, but I think the rowing takes more out of your legs. That's quite brutal, especially when you're racing James Cracknell. I mean, you go to one of these events thinking, okay, let's see what I can do. Let's see who's around. And then you look across and there's James Cracknell. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was It was like that. I, I remember coming off the row machine and, you know, you've got people looking around and like going, well, that's James Cracknell. Who's that? You know, who's that person over there? <laughs> well, you were quite a domineering figure when you look at you because you're a big guy, aren't you? I mean, you're not called Big Bird for nothing. What are you, six foot five, six foot yeah, six? Yeah, six five, yeah. So. Six five. And what was your racing weight? Around about 17 stone. So, yeah, so you're a bit of a unit. And you didn't have an ounce of fat on you when I was racing. I remember you were you were pretty yeah. much lean and cut at that weight as well. Yeah, I felt pretty good back then. Not so, <laughs> not so lean anymore. <laughs> okay, so you did these triathlons and then you kind of progressed onto indoor rowing. But just before we get onto indoor rowing, I want to ask you where you got the name Big Bird from because everybody that I speak to wants to know this. <laughs> well it really goes back to my childhood a few mates and I we'd been out we'd had a couple of beers and for some strange reason I don't know I can't recall why but I went running off down the road and yeah when when I got back with my mates one of them said you look like Big Bird out of Sesame Street and it stuck and it just it was like oh really thanks but anyway so it stuck with me from that time as a child and then when I joined the indoor rowing forum, I thought, you know what, I'll use that name on there. And it then stuck as my indoor rowing name. I remember racing you and a commentating saying, and it's uh, Tony Larkman and in front is Big Bird. <laughs> First time, I'm like, who the hell is Big Bird? 
And then over the years, obviously, I knew who it was then when I was racing you. But the first time I heard it, it kind of shook me nearly off the ergo when I was racing. Well, I remember turning up at my first event and I hadn't sort of told anybody. So I hadn't announced that Big Bird was Nick Fleming. So I remember racing and then coming off the race. And then some of the people on the forum who were actually at the first event I was at came up to me and said, oh, you are Big Bird. So they put two and two together and actually put Nick Fleming and Big Bird together. And after that, obviously, people did know who I was, but it was only through that first event. So, but yeah. Let's move on to your time when you got into indoor rowing. So I understand that you were at a gym in Cambridge and you saw... From what I understand on history, you saw some Concept 2 rankings on the local gym notice board and you thought you'll give it a go. And then your first 2K was around 6.30. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, again, I've never really used the row machine other than I might have like once a month sat on it just because the bikes were full or the treadmill was full. But the gym was called Greens in Cambridge. and yeah, because Cambridge is a very renowned rowing city, there were a number of rowers in the gym. They had the Concept 2 poster on the wall. There'd been a few posted times already of different distances. And I thought, you know, let's have a crack. Why not? And so, yeah, I literally sat down. And as it happened at the time, I was next to a guy that is one of the boatmen at one of the clubs in Cambridge. And, you know, I basically sat did a 2K. He was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. And yeah, and then from then on, I started to look at the times, started to realise that, you know, potentially I could get close to the, you know, the, the Burke winning time from the previous year. And yeah, and then took on from there, took off from there. So what was your first race? First race was the Burke in Reading, 2000. There was a very well-known, or a couple of very well-known rowers, and then a not so well-known Tony Larkman was there. As well. <laughs> Thank um, you. The other two, I think James Cracknell and Matthew Pinson were both there. They were rowing in the open. And so it was quite it was quite good to see those. Because again, from not really knowing much about rowing, to see these Olympic rowers turning up at an event that you know pretty much anyone could go to was quite an amazing experience. But yeah, going into the race, the actual race that I was in myself, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. I'd done about 612 in the gym so I knew I was quicker than the 630 but I didn't really expect anything from that race other than I was going to try and get to 610 to take a couple of seconds off and I remember getting halfway through thinking oh I'm doing all right here my name was on the top of the board but unfortunately I got out sprinted <laughs> by, the, by, by, by you <laughs> it's one of my few triumphs over you. I think you had a lot more over me than I had over you, but I'll take that one. Yeah, I remember it. We chatted just before we started recording, and I do remember it. And I think I just managed to pip you on a post, and I think it was, I think it might have even been under a second, but it was first of many of our really close races. Yeah. Some of them are close. Some of you might have hammered me by a bit more. Yeah, that was, that was hard work. And then, you went and broke 2K then in October the following year, in 2001, at Newark. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, obviously from – well, actually, let, let, let me just take a step back. After doing my first race at Reading, I got in contact with Concept2 and it sort of 
negotiated almost like a pass to the World Indoor Rowing Championships. If we could break six minutes, or I could break six minutes, they would sort of, they because at the time they had massive sponsorship. And so, obviously, after that, my focus was around breaking six minutes. And my training was going well. And Newark was actually a really nice little competition in the boathouse. So it was outside, fresh air, lovely cool day. And yeah, and I turned up there and really unexpectedly at the time, because I got any, hadn't got anywhere near six minutes, I came away with a 5.58.1, I think it was. But you must have been elated at seeing that. Yeah, it, it was. I think, I think I surprised myself, definitely. Well, I certainly surprised a lot of people who were at that particular race, because I don't think anyone had, you know, realistically seen anyone do anything near to that in a, in a sort of a local club event, you know. I always remember the first time that I broke six minutes and it was unexpected. As you said, I was kind of thinking that I could break 605 was was hanging around there and then training been going well. And one day I broke it. And I, I remember the feeling of it. It was a kind of a realization that actually it is possible. And then once you've done it once, then you believe that you can do it again and again and again. And as you did 23 times, sub six, Nick, tell us a little bit about mad indoor rowing club and your number six because we've all got numbers i'm a member of mad indoor rowing club which incidentally is the best indoor rowing club in the world <laughs> it is the anyone, best anyone who says it isn't i know there's sub seven and other people who will say no it's not we do win the c2 ctc quite a lot okay we might have some really good stars in there but nevertheless we are brilliant tell us about your number mad six well i mean the mad I, I, I can't remember who actually started it. I think it might have been John Goodall who actually came up with the idea. But anyway. I'm just going to when... stop you for a second, Nick. Do you remember we had a chat about it before it actually happened? Saying it was in America. We raced in Boston. We were out having a coffee afterwards or something. We said, you know what we need? We need to set up some sort of league where we have monthly challenges. And I think that was obviously then, I think John Goodall then put it all together. I think it was John Goodall as well, put it all together. But I do believe that we initiated the idea. We we planted. Oh right, okay. I, I really couldn't recall that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, so so yeah, so once once the mad team were put together, and they were, well, they were and still are probably a phenomenal team. I mean, I haven't sort of been in contact with anybody for for many years now, but because I always saw six as the magic target to be, and the mad team basically started giving us numbers my hand went up in the air straight away and number six was always going to be the number that I wanted. And, you know, basically once taking that on, it was basically try and get sub six. So my whole ethos at the time was try and break six, call myself mad sub six, basically. So Let me give you some of the, the, the records of this man that I'm talking to. He sent me a list of his records and much to my annoyance, He's better than all of them than I am, apart from the marathon, which he probably did while he was doing a 100k paddle or something. These are the sort of times we're looking at. And bear in mind that when Nick did these, he was in his 30s, in his mid to late 30s, a lot of them. So it's pretty outstanding. I mean, his 500 is 118.9 is PB. Bear in mind that he's not a sprinter as such. I know he's a big man, but he's more of a kind of mid-distance man. His 1,000 is 250, which is a 125 split. He's done a mile at 128. He's done his 2K, 553, his best, at 128 splits. Back in the day, we had 2,500 metres. He did a 738, which is a 131 split. His 5K is 1540, which is a 134 split. I think we're starting to get the idea. I'm going to go through a few more of these because they are impressive. 
He's done 6K at 1911, which is a 136. His 10K, now, the 10K, we've got a bit of a story here. His 10K is 3243.4, a 138.1 split. Now, I remember Nick contacting me and saying, I've just broken 33 minutes for 10K. Over to you, Tony. So I came back with a 3245.8. I put it all on the line. And then the next day, he came back with 3243.4. And to this day, he's still better than me at 10K. So you can imagine how annoyed I am with Nick. Even though I love him, there is a slight <laughs> jealous approach to my uh, my relationship with Nick. Then his half marathon, he's done a, a 112, which is a 142 split. I mean, these are these are just incredible. It's four minutes, 120, I said. 30 minutes, 139 split over 9K. His 60 minutes is a 141 split. I mean, these are incredible PBs. So this is a time when a man in his mid to late 30s is producing this. Bear in mind that he doesn't have a rowing background, and that's what makes it all more impressive. So we're going to talk a little bit about your titles, your British indoor rowing titles and your world indoor rowing titles. So if you can just tell us how many you've won and a little bit about them. Obviously, the, the most famous one of them all is the Tony Lartman, Chris Rushton, Nick Fleming tie. Oh, <laughs> Pun? You say you won um, that? <laughs> I, my name's top of the results list. I, I've been told this time and time again, but the, the fact is there were three hammers handed out, three of us tied, which when you know, when you consider we rode over two thousand meters in five minutes, fifty-seven point five, the three of us finished at exactly the same time. It's just it doesn't even comprehend really. I think it's the first time. I'm not sure whether they ever had another type of gold like that before. You know, if you get two people tied, that's unusual, but three people tied and three British athletes tied as well. It was just you know amazing. Who the was, don't you? You know the fourth yeah. person? The fourth right. was Tom Boyer, Boyer. He was a US Olympian. Yes. He was only 0.2 or 0.3 behind us. Yes. And we were in America I, doing it. Yeah, I do remember that, actually. Now you mentioned it, I wouldn't have been able to recall his name, but yeah. So, so there was that one, and then there was obviously when I got my... PB, you know, I remember doing that in the, at the Worlds, 553.4. Don't get the point. Nine years of age doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, that's really hard to, to imagine that I was actually just coming out of my 30s, just about into my 40s, and I, and I did the best time I'd ever produced. Incredible. But a great event. See, it's hard to recall than the British indoors. I, I know every time that you and I competed, it was always going to be tough. I think probably the British ones I, I did win, you probably weren't even there. You know, <laughs> I'm giving sort of, I don't know. I just It just feels like that that you all were always better at the British than I was. And you would be better at the Worlds. Yeah, and then we sort of turned it around. But I did end up with four British titles and three world titles. And, yeah. Impressive. That's impressive. So, yeah, that three-way tie was something special. And it wasn't like the race. We were all leading at some point in the race. You know, one of us was third and it swapped around. It kept swapping around and even Tom Bowe was, was in there. It was all swapping around. It was an amazing race. And, you know, somebody did say when they videoed it, they thought I jumped the start. But, I, you know. <laughs> to be honest, if they say you jumped the start, I was behind on the start. Because I remember looking back at it. Because, I again, I didn't know. It was only my second ever race. I didn't know that the clock would actually go, you know, go, go. And then everyone started. And I think I was half a stroke behind, which, to be fair, was the difference. You'd see, I would have won the race if I'd started the same time as you. Yeah, see, 
you know, if it had been a hundred meter sprint, they'd have given you a false start, and I'd have, you know, <laughs> they would have had to do it all again. <laughs> I think Chris Rustin, who was a police diver, and he was, I mean, Chris Rustin. We say a little bit about him. He was the first man to go sub six. who was a non rower, and he was built like a tank, wasn't he? He was an absolute mm-hmm. unit. Yeah, massive, massive. And he, but he was like 15, 16 stone of no, no fat on him. He was just this amazing, powerful man, and. I think he led for most of the race. I think what happened was that you and I were were catching him as we come into the last 500, I believe. But I think at the K, he was he was quite well in front of us. Yeah, I mean, I I actually got the splits written down. Unfortunately, I haven't got them here of how we went through the through the 500 meters, which is a shame because that would be interesting to look at that. But I think you're right, and and I remember yeah thinking at the time, oh, this race is so close, and you know. Because when you get to the last 500 metres, as you know, and anyone that's really pushed themselves really hard, you, you can't really focus on the on the digits. You're just, you know, you're just pushing and pushing and pushing until until the last stroke. It was nice for three Brits to go over to America. Yes. First. It, it, it was very nice, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely a special day. I mean, we had some tremendous battles uh, racing and so forth, but. You had some tremendous battles with Graham Benton as well, didn't you? Do you, any of them kind of come to mind, any big ones that stand out for you? Well, I, I remember sort of Graham coming on the scene. And when he first came on, he, I mean, he's a big unit. He's, he's taller than I. He's not slightly built, but he's slimmer built than, than I was at the time. But I remember him being phenomenally powerful, sitting by him when we were just doing a warm-up session one time. And, you know, he made pulling the the low 120 so easy some of the competition like the 100k world record that we did he made pulling 105s look easy and you always felt with graham even though i i did beat him once maybe twice in our first early days that he was always going to be exceptional and then i used to organize the cambridge indoor rowing championships and I got contacted, I shouldn't really say this because I really, really don't want people looking this up. I got contacted by Channel 4 for a thing called the Grudge Match. And they came and filmed the indoor Cambridge Indoor Rowing Championships. And Graham and I were basically the two main, main characters. And that was that was quite a good bit of banter between him and I. But he absolutely annihilated me on the day. On the day. And I really look back at that and wish I hadn't done that. But no, he was, you always knew with Graham, he was going to be the best from the background that we, we all came out, or I, he and I and, and us came out of, yeah. Yeah, I, I do remember that Channel 4 series. Although, to your defence, Big Bird, and, and I will back you up on this, you were organised, and I know at the time that you wasn't particularly training that hard for it. So I, I, <laughs> Thank you. I don't think you gave it, you, you wasn't at your best at that time of the race. Yeah. I'm going to give you a bit of backup there. And, and you met Steve Redgrave as well, didn't you? Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you felt? Yeah, so again, a bit, we were very, very lucky that Concept2 had quite a good sponsor. And so we went out to the World Indoor Round Championships and Steve Redgrave was come out to be one of the, one of the basically the hosts out there. And I was very fortunate enough to have him sitting behind me during my indoor race at that time out there. And it felt, it literally felt like he was my cox at the time. You know, you, you could feel him looking over your shoulder. You could hear him talking to you. And it was just like, 
this is the best row that the UK has ever produced. And he's sitting beside me. You're there. You can shake his hand. At the end of it, you can talk to him. You can, you know, you can actually have a chat with the guy. And it was, yeah, it was one of the best experiences within indoor rowing that I think I think I've had. And yeah, you know, we got pictures taken and all, all that kind of stuff with him. So I think he, you know, it was just that it spurred him on. And I did, I think that race I produced five fifty four point nine. I didn't win the race, but you know, he probably made a difference of a, a couple of seconds easily. So was yeah. that the one Graham Benton one? No, I think it was. I don't know where Graham came in that race because I think it was won by some international rower. I can't. But because I could go that kind of speed. I mean, you, you, Chris, and Graham were, I mean, at the time, Graham was a non rower as well, I believe. He got into rowing after. You three Brits were the only three people that I know of that were that capable of mixing it with the international Olympians. Yeah. I'd have to I'll have to look look it up. I, I did try and find the concept, you know, British records, but I couldn't really find. I couldn't basically locate them all uh, when I was having a look through. But yeah, I mean, Chris sort of Chris Russian hung around for a couple of years after you know basically we sort of started to have our little battles. And to be honest, I don't know why he didn't continue because he was you like like you just said, you know, one of the phenomenal sort of indoor rows at that time for our age category but he sort of I think he did his thing I think he won the worlds with us and then he won the British and then it sort of got what he, we wanted out of the sport and then he moved on to other things I think yeah phenomenal athlete right so we've mentioned your 553.4 when you were 39 winning the world indoors in 2008 at the age of 39 I think probably what the listeners want to know is how on earth did you do that I mean we mentioned earlier before we started recording about Eddie Fletcher, who was your coach at the time. For anyone who doesn't know Eddie Fletcher, he's probably the Jürgen Grobler of indoor rowing training and coaching. He also coaches the likes of people like Graham Benton. So he's a phenomenal coach, but he was coaching you at the time. And I think what people want to know really is how his training differed from what you were doing previous. And at that age, at 39, to produce such a fast time and your PB, his program must have been something special. Obviously, you need the athlete to be able to produce that kind of time. But what was different between how you were training previous to Eddie and how Eddie then influenced your training to produce such an amazing time at the World Indoors? Yeah, well, my attitude to training would always be every session would be as hard as you could go. You know, so so when I actually got into doing my triathlon, I'd get on the bike and I'd push myself as hard as I can. I'd run as hard as I can and I'd swim as hard as I can. When I did my weight training, I'd try and lift as much as I could pretty much every session, as many reps as I could. And so when I started onto the indoor rower, pretty much that's how my training went. I'd I'd do 30-minute, 45-minute sessions. I didn't really do much sprinting at all because, again, I didn't think that was a thing. But I would go as hard as I could for those 30 minutes, for those 45 minutes or whatever. No thought about the stroke rate, no thought about heart rate, didn't know anything about using the, the rowing machine as in the level that you should put the rowing machine on or anything like that. Can I just ask you, when you were doing it pre-Eddie Fletcher, how many sessions a week were you doing? I think to, to actually be so to, to build up to my birth, I was probably doing three sessions a week something like that not very much at all and how fast were you going on three sessions a week so oh cool blimey that is a question was that, um, was that sub six then I, no not then because 
Uh, well, actually, when did Eddie kick in? Yeah, because yeah, I had done sub six because I'd done Newark, hadn't I? So I built, I'd got myself down to sub six. I, to be honest, Tony, I really, really can't remember. Because you must um, have had an amazing base of training, which probably comes from your triathlon years. That big base. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that was the thing because I'd all, I'd always trained regularly. So whether it was on the rowing machine or just in the gym, I probably trained most days, but not most days would be on the rowing machine. Yeah, okay. Whereas when I switched over to to train with Eddie, it was pretty much every day was on the row machine, but the training was around heart rate zones. So instead of going as hard as I could every session I did, and going back to my normal training, I would have gone as hard on the row machine, then I'd run the next day as hard as I could, then I'd cycle the next day as hard as I could. So there was no light days, there was no rest days as such. So Eddie basically took all that, threw it out the window, and then he he basically refocused me on thinking around heart rate zones, which obviously he built around my resting heart rate and maximum heart rate. He then made me think about stroke rates. So, you know, you can't do everything at stroke 30, for example. You have to think about the lower stroke rate. So we, so we did a lot of base training around 18 strokes per minute. And then we built the stroke rate or the, the sessions through different distances at different stroke rates. So that, again, you trained your whole body at different levels so that you weren't doing everything pretty much at the same level. And then long sessions, he broke them down into an hour. He broke them down into three sets of 20 minutes. Like sprint training, we did repeat. So we'd do eight one-minutes followed with a two, three-minute rest with another eight, one minutes, that kind of thing. So, again, rather than do, say, lots of repeats without any rest, there was a focus on getting your heart rate to the right position before starting again as well. Was that three times 20 minutes for your hour erg? I think it's like, you know, 60, 90 seconds rest in between. Was that done because you had suffered, and, and we'll go on to your injury in a bit, but you had had suffered from some back injury was that allow you to get up and do your stretching is that what the purpose of it was it certainly allowed you to do that it allowed you to take on a little bit of water as well so it gave you that opportunity to have a quick stretch as you say it did relieve the pressure on your lower back and importantly as well it, it gave you a chance to you know take some fluid on boards and yeah i mean i think that was the emphasis it, it was as much about making sure that you had the right fuel on board so that you were able to keep going through the session rather than gradually tie yourself out and i guess when you row for a long time on at a, a base level to say around 70 to 75 percent of your maximum heart rate you're or 65 to 75 and you, you're training at that long base level you have something called cardiac drift which when the body gets heated the heart rate goes up so you're having to reduce the watts that you're pulling in order yeah. to keep the heart rate where it is. But if you take that drink, you can then refuel, get the rehydration in, and then continue to produce a quality workout. Yeah. I definitely remember, like you say, heart rate drift. I remember, you know, doing these kind of sessions. And, and the idea was to get all your three 20 minutes, or we did 5Ks and 6Ks, you know, as, as well, rather than timed. And it was to get them all around about the same kind of split. But you'd lose about two seconds between the first one per 500 metres to the, to the last one. But obviously the fitter that we got, or I got coming up to race time, the difference in your first set and your last set would gradually decrease so that, you know, the, the split difference between the three sets, for example, would be maybe a second per 500 metres rather than two or three seconds per 500 metres. Can you remember, and this is for our listeners, 
And I know that we talk about plus 21 or plus 24 of your 2K as a UT or zone two split, your, your base steady state training. For me, everyone is different, but it's usually about plus 21 seconds. So if I'm pulling a 620, which is 135 split, I know that if i am got my heart rate in that zone, it's usually around 156 split for me. Did you find that was the same or did you have a big variation between what you raced at? Because you were racing at 128s, 129s. What was your three six Ks, for example? What sort of yeah, split? Yeah, no, I, I think you're about right. I, I, I certainly recall the first set of splits for the first, say, 6K would have been around about, well, between, I would, I would say slightly higher than that, probably around about 50 to 52, 150 to 152 split. And the last one would be certainly, certainly no more than 153, 154. Yeah, you you know, so I think on a good day, I'd probably even pull a 148 split for the that first 6K, yeah. Now that's impressive. It's interesting to know because we have this question quite a lot. I get sent a lot of emails saying, I don't have a heart rate monitor. What should I base my steady state on? And I say, get a heart rate monitor because everyone... Yeah. I think that's, you know, if, if someone asked me that question, I would definitely say that. It's easy to guess. And also not being funny you know heart rates on different people are very different i mean my resting heart rate at the time was sort of high 30s and my maximum heart rate was only 173 so it's easy to say oh you you know train at this heart rate or train at this split but actually i think you really do you know to get the best from yourself you really do need to actually test your heart rate and then use your training zones around that that's a big pump you got in that chest (laughs) <laughs> it's a big chest but not such a yeah <laughs> it just takes a little bit of tweaking come on we can get back racing again <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter what you say <laughs> we used to wind each other up or I used to wind Nick up and then I used to wind him up so much to the point for a race I was hoping to kind of get him sort of psyched out but what happened I just wound him up to race even harder but there were occasions when I wound him up so much that I would actually hide because I think <laughs> he would turn around and if Nick hit me, there wouldn't be much left of me now, I tell you that much. <laughs> um, I remember sharing a room with you actually at the World Indoors. Do you remember that? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and the company, because we, we were competing against each other and we were like, you know, it is the battle between us and we're sharing. And like the day before, we both kind of trying to read a book and every now and then I'm winding you up like throwing something at you and you had to go out to the room and have a walk because i was being really irritating who won that year did you did you win that year or me well it wouldn't have been me would it it's a world indoors you should always beat me (laughs) i can't recall could you remember the world indoor one race there was graham you and i were were there as well together and obviously right graham won that year i I can't really recall whether you did come second or 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 third. I think correctly. You I think did. you came second, didn't you? I did, sir. That's one of the very rare occasions that yeah. I hit you. But but second wasn't winning, was it? So I I knew <laughs> I couldn't win, so I was happy to give you that victory for that you know or that that second place. It was a medal that you hadn't had. You had the gold and silver. You wanted the bronze. <laughs> yeah, I wanted the bronze. That was it. Wound down in the last hundred. Let me through. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So going back to racing, because obviously people want to know about training and so forth, and they want to know how they can improve. And you've been doing what you've done, especially as a non-rower. And and I know that you got on the water, and we'll talk about that in a second. But can you just 
kind of explain a bit more about your weight training? Because we, we, we know that with Eddie, you did a lot of heart rate controlled stuff and the interval work and so forth. But what sort of weight training did you do during your period when you were obviously doing amazing times? Yeah, so, so basically I always saw the rower obviously as my main cardio and I saw the rower as the, my main focus for my legs because obviously predominantly, you know, in my mind, that's where the power comes from. So for my weight training, it was really mainly upper body. So chest press, triceps, biceps, back, lower back. The gun show. <laughs> the gun show, yeah. It and, it, and even even now, you know, I, I still do the same kind of routine, chest, sit-ups, biceps, triceps, you know, and I still don't do any leg weights. I, I never did leg weights during my period of training for the indoor row because I just thought that that power came from the actual row machine itself. But I would go to the gym, cycle to the gym in the morning, and I would do 20 minutes weights, and that would be my sort of weights. And I'd probably do that three or four times a week. So that would be the first session of the day. And then the second session of the day would be using the row machine, for example. So it wasn't a big part of my training, but I always did a, a little bit on the weights. And, and definitely, it, I think it definitely benefited me for the run, for the sort of the indoor rowing. What about your uh, cross training? What, what tools did you use for cross training? So basically, I used the bike a lot. I really got into cycling a few years ago. And during the period of my indoor run, I was always on my bike. I mean, it's only four or five miles away. But I worked in the centre of Cambridge, cycled there and back. So you're doing eight miles a day, eight, ten miles a day. I'd then do longer cycles at the weekend. But I'd only do an hour. I'd use the cross trainer, you know, the elliptical trainer quite a bit as well. Running as well. I've got, you know, I used to do quite a lot of park runs. I've done a few half marathons. So everything really it was just all additional training to the rowing machine but predominantly you know it was the rowing machine I sort of had when I was looking up some of my notes I looked back at the year that I got my 553 and within the first three months I'd done over a million meters on the rowing machine oh wow now, you know so that you know for for someone that doesn't understand that's that is quite a lot, <laughs> that's quite a lot of meters yeah I mean that's a hell of a lot isn't it I mean that's a lot of three six k's yeah it, yeah it was it was i mean some days i would do double sessions on the rowing machine and that wasn't just my focus i mean i was doing additional training as well on the bike and, and the weights and stuff like that so what's the longest training road that you've done a kind of a steady state that was on your program on my program is, is literally the three six k's that that's it that would that would be my long road i mean yeah you know i did a few half marathons but they weren't training roads they were sort of roads to get a time for that distance and you know I, as you pointed out earlier i've done a couple of marathons but that was never my emphasis but yeah so so we've basically focused around the longer endurance stuff as i, as I looked at it. it was three five k's three six k's so six k's at the time i think that'd take me 21 22 minutes something like that and then the five k's probably 18 19 minutes i can't really I can't, well, maybe a little bit less than i can't really recall but yeah it's interesting isn't it because i look at a lot of rowers on the water and they do a lot of mileage a lot of mileage a lot more than the indoor rowers do but their scores aren't any quicker I mean, when you get to the top end of the Olympians, yeah, that's different. But I'm talking about people that work like us and actually go on the rowing machine. In some ways, they do a lot more mileage. And I do think there is a cutoff point between mileage and interval work. 
that you can go too far into the mileage. And I think it softens you when it comes to racing. Do you think that's true? Yeah, you know, I think if you think about, I only ever did an hour session per day, for example, and that was my train on the right machine. I don't know how much more, if you did much more than that, but I was able to achieve times under six minutes Whereas you probably look at some of the international rowers and they're out in the boats for hours and hours every day. And then they probably do an additional training on the rowing machines as well. So, yeah, I think the training that we did focused, I don't know how to put it really, but yeah, focused ourselves so much. Well, it's, it's the intensity, isn't it? I think, I mean, I agree with you in the sense that I think the reason that you beat me at weld indoors is that i used to do about seven eight hours training a week when we were racing and that was sub six for me that that kind of yeah didn't do any weight training back then believe it or not i i kind of got into my weight training as i got into my 40s when i started to develop some injuries and realized okay. i way forward to be able to prevent those injuries so i could carry on doing what i was doing but i used to spend a lot of time doing interval work i used to love interval work. i used to do like three maybe four interval days a week Oh, right. I was just kind of lactic acid loving monster. I I loved it. But it can only make you as fast as your base. And I think the reason you went quicker is that you probably did a bit more base than I did. Obviously, you're a greater athlete than me. Oh, well, obviously. (laughs) But I think what probably happened, the difference between the British indoors, which were in November then, and the world indoors in February, was that I carried on doing my repeat interval training. You probably went back and correct me if I'm wrong, you went back to base and then peaked again for your interview. Yeah. And what happened as a result, you got those two, three seconds on me at the Worlds, which yeah. are the same speed. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is, that is very fair to say. I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, we during my training, we wouldn't do m- many intervals at all until it literally came to race time. So, you know, you, you would do like endurance, so your five, six Ks. And in my mind, you do the speed endurance, so like your, your two and a half Ks, five Ks, five Ks, but a higher higher rate. Two Ks repeats, two and a half K repeats. Um, what five Ks be at rate-wise? So your endurance stuff would be sort of 18, and then your five Ks would be, say, 22, 24. Oh, you know, right. so, you, so you've just, you've increased your, your, your stroke rate a little bit but you're not actually at race rate yet, you know. So you then obviously bring the distance down. So you say repeat 1Ks, you might do it 26, 28 strokes per minute. And then obviously you're moving into then your real interval training. So you're 500 metres and one minute stuff. It's interesting because what I noticed about you and I and our splits is that with our splits for some of the races were, were, were very equal, my stroke rate was always two to three strokes per minute higher which indicates to me that you had much more power per stroke than me, obviously. And that comes in effect to the kind of work that you were doing. You were doing that kind of break build. And that's what rowers on the water do. They do that building up of the stroke to make it quicker and quicker, where I was just kind of wheel spinning, using as much fitness and strength as I could at that right. point. But obviously, I had nowhere to go, whereas you had a few more seconds to go for the Worlds. And it seems to me like the way that you did it, building up that rate slowly, developed the power of stroke. So when you got up to race rate at 32, 34 strokes a minute, you had that maybe that one second, two seconds per 500 quicker than I did. Yes, I certainly you know agree with that. I think because again, going back to Eddie and and the training that he made us made me do, and he makes I think the the rest of us do, is he he did train you through the stroke rate range. So you were training at, and trying to produce power all the way through. So you so your 18 strokes per minute, even though it was a 
like a, an endurance recovery row because it was around heart rate. You were still trying to be powerful at that lower rate, and that was the whole emphasis through throughout the training. You know, as far as I remember, is you were trying to be powerful, but at different rates, so that actually when you came to go into race, you know, races, you you had a full range. And that's interesting because when you're looking at like the three by twenty minutes or the three six k's that you were doing, and if you do a sixty minute flat, not only is it more damaging to the back not being able to get off and stretch and so forth but also if you look at your heart rate you get cardiac drift especially when you get into like 30 40 minutes of the piece naturally your body temperature goes up your heart rate goes up your body's trying to cool down but if you do the 320 minutes or the 36ks and then have that 90 seconds break in between to grab some water and get a bit of fluids inside then that's going to allow your heart rate to drop so then you can do another 6k or 20 minutes at a higher wattage the heart rate so you're not going to have that cardiac drift and that's going to develop power isn't it yeah and, and you and you're right in exactly what you're saying there and that that was a big thing so so by the time and you pointed out earlier we're taking 60 seconds to 90 seconds rest so in that time your heart rate has come down considerably especially as your fitness builds up and you've got your you know your high level of fitness you know coming into race time so when you start that next session you know your lower heart rate allows you to then be more powerful during that first few minutes of that next interval. And so, yeah, I think the whole thing just gave you opportunity to be more powerful through the whole session rather than do a single 60-minute piece. Let's talk about your rowing on the water or your brief introduction to rowing on the water in Cambridge. (laughs) So, yeah, so... When I was in the in the gym, they basically did a guy came in from one of the town clubs called Champion of the Thames, and he basically did a very quick introduction into rowing. So he, he saw us on the rowing machines. He gave us a quick talk about what we'd expect if we went to go and row with one of the clubs. And because obviously I did stand out a little bit on the rowing machine, he was very keen to get me involved. So I, I did eventually go and join champion of the Thames and I remember I I joined in the winter I'd only been doing it a couple of weeks and I think we used to train on a Sunday morning say about eight o'clock and I remember waking up one of those first first Sunday mornings and it was a bit icy outside and I rang him up and I said I'm not coming this week because it's it's a bit it's a bit too cold for me (laughs) not realizing at the time that you're an eight-man crew that if you do that you let everyone else down because no because no one else can row but that was the only time I ever cried off so I took to it. I thought it was great. I was a bow sider. I never rode straight side, rode bow side. But for some reason, they say the five seat, you, you'll know more about this than me, is where they put the, the person that isn't very technical, but he's, he's big and powerful. Not quite correct. The person's not quite technical, usually in a three seat, although that's not true. But the person in the five seat not only has the power, but is a rhythm maker as well, smooth and technical. Oh, uh, right. So seven and five are quite key seats. Seven's usually your most technical person and bow. Five's your most technical, strong person. And three's your real monster. Oh, right. Okay, well, I suppose you were three, were you? <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> I, I, never, I never got I was, in the three seat. Maybe I, I couldn't four, four, which four is the equivalent of three on stroke side. So I was the donkey who used to pull hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So anyway, so yeah, so I joined Champion of the Thames. And at that time, the first boat was... 
there are divisions within the men's divisions, basically, and they were in the third division, quite a long way down. And during the rowing season, there's a competition called the Bumps. And, you know, if you know Cambridge or Oxford, you need to look it up, basically, because it's too difficult to describe on, on this. But we basically, me joining the club, progressed from the third division into the middle of the first division over a period of the next five years. So I think whether I had any influence on that or not, I don't know. But I, I won four sets of blades during that time, which was quite unheard of. I remember my first rowing year, one of the other guys in the crew, he'd rowed for 20 years and hadn't won a set of blades. And the year that I got into the boat with him, we ended up winning blades. So, yeah, it was a great time. And I now do, once a year, I row in the town bumps, not very successfully because the crew has now aged a little bit. So my boat's average age now is about 65 to 70. And, yeah, we seem to be slipping back down the divisions. I think we are back now in the third division. So I'm not the first boat anymore. I want to talk to you about, because obviously you had some injuries along the way. And I know that a little while ago, you had to have some back surgery to fuse some of your lower discs. And then you tried to make a comeback. And you actually, at 50, you, you're going quite quick again, quite soon. First question is, can you tell us a little bit about your injuries? Second question is, are you going to come back? <laughs> so the lower back, I had a lower back operation where I had some discs fused. It had been going on for a number of years. I as it turned out, I had a trapped nerve in my lower back, which, again, whether you put it down to rowing or not, but it's a very repetitive sport. So it probably is where it came from. So they fused two discs in my lower back, which effectively took me out of rowing for maybe a couple of years. And even though I have, you know, I have rowed since then, it, it sort of, once you lose a couple of years worth of training, it's very hard then to get, you know, that fitness level of fitness back again. So this was, say, about eight or nine years. I can't remember the exact dates, eight or nine years ago. Then when, yeah, when I turned 50, it was always in the back of my mind to try again, to to give it another go again. So I encouraged the Champion of the Thames crew that I was running with at the time to start ERC training. So I got back with them, and I think with their encouragement, we would start to train regularly once a week as a crew, and then I'd train two or three times. And yeah, I did get back to six. Well, six twenty-six was my sort of low time. Just just as I turned turned into my fifties. But again, unfortunately, you know, for whatever reason, things didn't sort of run smoothly after that. And and that was really the last time I put any real effort into making a comeback. And I would have loved to make a comeback, especially if I'd have known you'd have been on the racing circuit at that time. Well, we would. I mean, the whole of the indoor Rome world would love to see you back. Nick and me more than anyone else would love to to have you back racing again if I could offer you any advice at all it would be start doing leg weights start building the muscles around those hips support that lower back get as much muscles in the the glutes and the hamstrings because the quads are already going to be strong from everything you've done stretch stretch and then do some more stretching and stretching is something something I've never done. I mean, you know, you being a personal coach, you probably, you know, it's a big emphasis of getting people ready, warmed up, put them cooled down. Whereas with me, it's, you know, the only time I stretch is when I get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) Well, we would really love to see you back, Rowan. I still feel like you've got a lot to offer and I still feel like we have many battles. We got to lock horns again. 
I've recently changed my job and the, the company I work for do have a gym. They have four rowing machines. So there's no excuses for me to not get back on a rowing machine, not to give it another go. So you never know. You never know. Well, there's some stiff competition for us now, Nick. There's some new boys on the block that are pretty damn good. There's a guy called Andy Benko that broke the world record, Andy Ripley's world record that stood from 1998. He still has the British record of 607, which is phenomenal. But he did 601. Right, did he? And that's what got me started again was seeing that and thinking, oh, I need to start rowing to see how close to that I can get. To my dismay, I'm... <laughs> You're not too close at the moment. But, you know, it's a, for me, it's the first time I've done any proper training since my 30s. I think I started in April, May this year, and I've done a load of base training. And it'd be interesting to see what I... I, I think I'm a year younger than you, and it does show. Very much so. You still, you still got dark hair. I've got very much, it's not very much hair in very you grown. Two thousand, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Is it? <laughs> no, it's not honestly. No, well, it might be. no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it is. No, it's not. And um, <laughs> no, it's another uh, make. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if if it wasn't for for people like Andy Blinker, and there's another CrossFit guy called Scott Jenkins who I've been following on Instagram, and he's just pulled an amazing six eighteen. He's not a rower. And he's very much into his gymnastics and CrossFit and, you know, he's starting up the erg and he's, he's an incredible talent. And there are others as well. You know, there are people that have rowed before that I used to row with that used to be international rowers that are back on the scene. So right. it's becoming rather competitive in our plus age group with what we need because without people going faster and, and giving us bloody noses every now and then, there's no way of us improving because we just rest on the laurels. So I think it's a yeah. good thing. And, and that's why I wanted to get back into it because I wanted to see how fast I can go. At the moment, it's taking its time, but I'm hoping that the base will pay off eventually. But yeah. it, if you came on the scene, it would just... <laughs> it would spur you on. Yeah, and it would be great. It'd be lovely to see you because you are a big character around the indoor rowing world. I mean, you haven't been involved in indoor rowing now for over 10 years, I would have thought, longer. No, no, not at all. Yeah. yet, people still know you. And yeah. people still talk about the big bird. You know, you are a legend in the sport of indoor rowing. Lots and, of you to say. Well, since coronavirus, indoor rowing has just taken off. It's one of the fastest growing gym sports now around. More competitions, especially with CrossFit getting on board now. And it's reached a whole new level to when we were doing it. So there are more people doing it, but it needs us oldies to carry on to spur others yeah. on as much as other people spurring us on to do it. And I think, you know, the more that we can learn about how we used to do it and how you did it and how you got to your phenomenal times at an advanced age for competing at the top level is, is really going to be eye-opening for a lot of people listening to this. Nick, taking up enough of your time, is there any last things you want to say to anybody about anything or uh, to <laughs> me? But keep it clean. I know you, what you really want to say to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> I said nothing would give me more pleasure than to make a comeback and us to be back in competition, sitting, you know, sitting side by side. I would love to think it was possible, but it really, you know, we, we will see. You know, it's it's great to have got back in contact. I mean, it's great to obviously chat to you and you know to put a voice out there to the, all the indoor rowers, obviously those of old and the and the new ones, and hopefully in some little way it spurs them on. Thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure. And if you do get back into it, this time, rather than keeping our training program secret, I think we need to work together so we can maybe beat all the others. 
What do you, what do you say? <laughs> I, I reckon that sounds like a good plan. As long as I beat you, I don't mind. But yeah, I'll help all the others beat you as well. <laughs> well, we'll have another deal. I beat you at the British, you beat me at the Worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like a plan. All right, Nick, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure talking to you. I know a lot of people will be interested to listen to this. Also, a lot of people from Mad Indoor Rowing Bub will be tuning in to hear the legend talking again. Uh, well, my best to everyone. Yeah, take care and speak soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.